I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome inside another episode of A Call Away. I'm Adam Giardino, broadcaster for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, New York Yankees AAA affiliate. And we've got another look around the Yankees minor league system this week with the special focus, as always, on the top level. We're going to get into the highlights from the past week. We'll have a couple of interviews, one with infielder Bravik Valera, who was picked up on waivers a couple of weeks back from the San Francisco Giants. He's on the 40-man right now for the Yankees, though he has not been called up to the big leagues. We'll also chat with hitting coach Phil Plantier. It's his second season with the Yankees. And we'll pick Phil's brain on how the trickle-down effect of the new baseball, the big league ball that's been used for the last couple of years, it's now here in AAA, and how that has affected the numbers and the approach of the guys here in Scranton. And we'll also have a bonus interview. This past weekend was the 30th anniversary celebration of baseball arriving in Scranton. And John Davies, who for 28 years, the longtime public address announcer at the original Lackawanna County Stadium, as well as current PNC Field, He was kind enough to join us on the radio pregame show, and we wanted to pass that conversation along for you. It is jam-packed with memories and stories and just a lot of really good names and nostalgia to look back on with baseball here in Scranton. We'll have broadcast banter this week again with Adam Marco, the voice of the Rail Riders. We talked about Bravik Valera. We talked about the offense. A couple of months into the season, the numbers are way up, which is what we expected, but He'll give an extra special perspective because he had a long chat with pitching coach Tommy Phelps. So while we'll hear from Phil Plantier during the podcast, the hitting coach, we'll also hear what Tommy Phelps thought about how his pitchers have been playing that poker game, how they've punched back against the new baseballs. And as we record this episode, D.D. Gregorius is still on the Rail Riders roster. He has not yet been sent back up to New York, though we expect that to happen any day now. And so we'll give a rundown on what we are seeing in person from Didi as he plays the field and swings the bat. And as always, we wrap up with a look around the entire system. We've got minor league reports from single A Charleston, high A Tampa, double A Trenton, and right here in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. So we'll look at the highlights in the week that was. Last Tuesday, home game was set to go between the Rail Riders and the Rochester Red Wings, the Minnesota Twins AAA affiliate, and it was postponed. So that meant on Wednesday we had two baseball games, two seven-inning affairs, and the first game on Wednesday saw a leadoff home run by Nick Gordon on the second pitch of the game. It gave Rochester a one nothing lead, and that came off of starter Brody Kerner. Well, wouldn't you know, he didn't give up much the rest of the way. Six innings for Kerner, and he only allowed two more hits and just that one run, which gave the Rail Riders offense a chance to rally. And they did so with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the fourth inning. Three straight walks to Brad Miller, Ryan McBroom, and Gosuke Kato set the table for Ryan LaVarnway. Working out of the windup with the bases loaded, Brad Miller at third, Ryan McBroom at second, Gosuke Kato at first. The pitch, line drive, base hit in a right center field. 
in to score from third is Miller. Around third, McBroom, he scores standing up. Coteau gets the wave. The relay to the plate is not in time. It's a three-run single for Ryan LaVarnway, and the Rail Riders take a 3-1 lead in the bottom of the fourth. That was it for Scranton in the opener, but that was all they would need, a 3-1 victory over the Rochester Red Wings. In game two against Rochester, the Red Wings scored five times in the top of the third inning, and it was a 5-1 lead going into the bottom half of the third. The Rail Riders would slowly rally. Again, it was two seven-inning ball games, so going into the sixth inning, the Rail Riders needed some offense. They trailed 5-2. They got a two-run homer from Mike Talkman That brought it back to a one-run game. Tyler Wade delivered a game-tying single in the bottom of the seventh, and that sent it to extras. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, the bases were loaded with one down, and it brought up Brad Miller. First pitch to Miller. Ground ball to the right side. Foulderspeen can't glove it. Game over. Brad Miller gives Scranton Wilkesbury the walk-off 6-5 win. What a night for a Rail Riders twin bill sweep. That won it for the Rail Riders, and they swept the doubleheader on Wednesday. So we mentioned Tuesday was postponed due to rain. Thursday was as well, and that game will be made up later on in the season. So the Rail Riders then jumped ahead to a series opener against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs on Friday. They went up against Eniel De Los Santos, a guy who spent time up in the big leagues and someone who's had great numbers over four starts in AAA. But in the bottom of the first inning, a four-run frame was capped by a Tyler Wade two-run homer, and the Rail Riders were cruising right along. Six scoreless innings from Chance Adams. He was great. He got the victory, and the game was relatively close until the bottom of the sixth inning when with two outs and two on, up stepped Mike Ford. The 3-1 pitch is a swing and a missile to right center field. It's onto the berm and gone. And a quick little finger point at his first base coach, Julio Bourbon. The Rail Riders make it 7-0. That made it 7-0 in an eventual 8-0 victory. The following day, game two of the series, the Rail Riders won 7-4. They trailed 1-0 early and then Two in the third, two in the fifth, two in the seventh, a run in the eighth, and the Lehigh Valley plated three runs in the ninth inning. They never brought the tying run to the plate in a rather comfortable victory that day with another strong starting pitching performance. Drew Hutchison went six innings and allowed one run on three hits. So that brings us to Sunday, and the Rail Riders fell behind early before tying it with two runs in the bottom of the sixth inning, so it was 2-2 before the Iron Pig scored three times in the top of the seventh. Going to the bottom of the eighth, it was still a three-run lead, a 5-2 lead for Lehigh Valley, and the Rail Riders needed something. They got a strikeout to begin the inning, but then a walk and a single. The tying run came to the plate in the bottom of the eighth inning, and Trey Ambergie knew just what to do. The 1-1 to Ambergie. Crushed it to left field. This is gone. Off the bridge, and we're tied at five, bottom half of the eighth inning. He didn't get it the first time, but he got it on the third. Trey Ambergie with a game-tying home run off of Luke Leftwich. We're all square fives in the bottom half of the eighth inning. Though that one swing tied it, there were four walks in the top of the ninth inning, and Lehigh Valley with the go-ahead run. They hung on for a 6-5 victory Sunday. So that avoided the sweep. Scranton Wilkesbury still took two of three 
over the weekend from their IL North rivals. Monday kicked off a series against Buffalo and Scranton Wilkesbury and the Buffalo Bisons were tied at two going into the fourth inning. Trey Ambergie singled home a run earlier in the frame to give the Rail Riders a one-run lead, but with two outs and the bases loaded, you could always use more cushion. And that's exactly what Tyler Wade was thinking. The 0-2 pitch to Wade. Swing, line, drive, right center field, base hit. This one hunts for the gap. Miller scores. Ambergy scores. Coteau gets the wave. Wade to second. That's where the throw goes. And now Wade takes off as the ball's gotten free on the infield, and his aggression gives him third base. It's a three-run double. Scranton Wilkesbury owns a 6-2 lead here in the top of the fourth. The next man up was Mike Ford. He clocked a two-run homer. And six runs in the fourth inning all came home with two outs for the Rail Riders. It made it 8-2. They won 9-2 Monday night in Buffalo. So that's a look at the week that was for Scranton Wilkes-Barre as they are now three and a half games clear of first place as we record this in the IL North Division. One of the guys that we didn't necessarily highlight in any of those clips, Bravik Valera, who's been so instrumental to the Rail Riders this season. Since coming over from San Francisco, he's appeared in 19 games and is batting 424 with a 506 on base percentage and an 803 slugging. His OPS is over 1300 and 2 weeks back he was named the International League player of the week. We had an opportunity to sit down and chat with Bravik earlier in the week. Coach Julio Borbone acts as the translator for the 27-year-old Valera who hails from Venezuela. And the one thing that really has jumped out for Valera, in his entire career, he's never been much of a power hitter, but over his first dozen games with the Rail Riders, already six homers. So what has been the key to that newfound power source? Uh, definitely is something that goes back to, you know, just a comfort zone, being able to, you know, make the transition. He's just like you were saying, he's saying that he, he's very aware of, of the, the his, his power and what he's done in the past. And in a way, he's kind of obviously caught a little off guard and, and surprised by it as well. But it's one of those where he also realizes that, you know, coming to this new organization and being able to make that transition to be around a good coaching staff and, and have have hitting coaches that he's able to kind of communicate and go back and forth and, you know, just being comfortable, having that, that trust, that belief in yourself that, you know, you find yourself in a, in a comfortable setting and a place where you're you're not only happy, but you're 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 enjoying things. And I think it's just kind of one of those where it's kind of played itself out to, to be the way it has so far. You talk about working with some of the coaches. What, what have you been working on with Phil Plantier in your time here? It's, uh, it goes back to, you know, one of those things that he's been able to open that line of communication with Phil and, and being able to, to, to have him being able to take a look at him in person despite just the numbers. And, and he's made him aware, Phil's made him aware that he's, you know, he's, he's been a pretty good hitter throughout his career. It's, it's something that he's noticed that one of the things that they focus and he's, he's wanted him to kind of be able to emphasize a little more is on staying a little further back and being able to pick certain spots to drive the ball a little more. And, and that's the kind of been the major adjustment when it comes to, to his hitting approach other than, than that. He's kind, of, they've kind of, he's kind of kept him the same in terms of what he's been able to provide in the way that he kind of brings his offense to the table, how he's able to do things. He, he's kept it pretty simple, but that would be the only thing that he's kind of made him a little more aware and that he's seen that's translated a little more early on in, in the short span that he's been here with us. 
You're on the pregame show with Rail Riders. Infielder Brevik Valera, and you talk about a couple of different organizations now over the last few years. What has that experience been like from the Dodgers to the Orioles and earlier this year with the Giants? One of the things uh, that he's, he said it's a little harder to describe. You know, it's one of those where when it comes to feelings and emotions, it's, it's, it's a little, little tough to, to understand. But in terms of the mindset and one of the things that he's continued to reiterate and tell himself as he goes on from organization is, you know, at the end of the day is the different organizations same goal. You know, he's going to come out and compete and give it his 100%, give it his best, and be able to go out there and, and you know, just let everything be in, in the hand of the organization that has chosen to trade for him or to be willing to have him in the organization is kind of the way that he's kind of gone about it. You've had a little bit of a taste of the big leagues. What do you need to do? What are you working on to, to try to get back to that level? He, he describes and he answered it actually in the previous question as well as control what he can control, you know, be able to – Keep playing hard, be, continue to do what he's been doing since he's been here, just playing well, putting good at-bats together, playing solid defense, just, just playing an overall well, well-rounded well game the way he has and, and just wait for that opportunity, that door to, to, to open up for, for him to continue to do that once he transitions to, to the big leagues. He understands that, you know, some people might feel like it's a little harder up there and whatnot, but at the end of the day for him it's more about waiting for that chance to, to come so he can be able to – to maximize it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back inside A Call Away. It's time for another week and another segment of Broadcast Banter. And for that, we welcome the voice of the Rail Riders, Adam Marco, here into the podcast. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. No quibbles about it. Definitely not to quabble about anything that we've got to say coming up over Bravik Valera, the general offense, and Didi Gregorius. Those are the three things we're going to be hitting on during this segment. And for Bravik Valera, he's a guy that won the IL Player of the Week two weeks ago now. He has since been dethroned, but he's a guy that just continues to hit. And we talked about him in last week's episode of the pod. It is really hard to imagine how the San Francisco Giants could let this guy go and the simple answer is he wasn't this when he was playing for Mm -hmm. Sacramento and perhaps you don't know the full story about it but perhaps that he was just a 40th guy on the 40-man roster and you claim him maybe you catch lightning otherwise it's a spot that will have to be vacated at some point by the Giants and the Yankees could find themselves in a predicament like that when all of these 60-day injured list guys get healthy but for whatever it was there, it has been phenomenal for Scranton Wilkesbury. It's been fun to watch Bravik Valera at the plate. And he's almost a guaranteed two hit game <laughs> every night out. Maybe it's not in always the opportune spot, but more often than not over the last two weeks, I mean, you could jot it down, you could write it in pen on a lineup card in your scorecard. He's going to end up with two or three hits, and he's going to come up with a clutch play somewhere along. And it has been vital for this team to have with 
so much roster fluctuation with guys up to the big leagues coming up from double a trenton bravik valera was a great pickup by the new york yankees i would not have said that on day one but now almost a month later absolutely this team may not be where it is if it wasn't for the bat of bravik valera typically in the three spot of j bell's order Somewhere in there, when this move first happened, I think we disclosed this last week, the general consensus for for us was, why do we, the Rail Riders, the New York Yankees, the general we, why do we need this guy looking at his numbers? And through 19 games, a 424 average with six homers and a 506 on base percentage, why wouldn't you need a guy like that? So from Bravik Valera, a guy that's getting on base half the time he comes up since being acquired from the San Francisco Giants, to the more general sense of this offense, I don't think we've talked about this team as much as perhaps we should. Obviously, the new baseballs are turning the game of baseball on its head, and we've talked about that plenty. But even within that construct... The Rail Riders still rank in the top three in the International League in some critical offensive categories. And historically, the last five years' worth of history, Yankee minor league teams that have been successful have done so on the strength of some really good arms. And this team is in first place in the IL North Division due to, in large part, one of the best offenses in the league. Well, it's not because of the pitching, and that's not meant to slight the pitching. The AAA level going to the major league balls this year. So it's elevating offenses, not just for our club, but for every team across AAA baseball. And it makes the numbers inflated on the pitching side. The ERAs are up this year. Home runs are most definitely up through the roof. And the Rail Riders, in part, are a product of this. You're seeing guys, as we finish off the month of May and start into June, that are nearly at their 2018 home run totals. A guy like Mike Ford had 15 last year in AAA. He's got 12 through the first two months and a few days of this season. So you're seeing that elevation across AAA baseball. I talked to pitching coach Tommy Phelps a little bit about it to get Mm -hmm. just another perspective. And, you know, Tommy realizes what it is, but he's actually a proponent of using this ball across all of the minor leagues that you're going to get guys used to the Major League Baseball at every level. You know, We think about going the opposite way. Let's take it back to the old ball. Well, there are some pitchers and pitching coaches out there, obviously, as Tommy informed me, that think this could be something that inflates offenses, not just at AAA, throughout the course of Minor League Baseball, top to bottom, and we'll see where that goes. Now, to me, that's interesting, and, and that's a part of the conversation that intrigues me, where Tommy is thinking, okay, we want this in the lower levels of the minors, which makes me think that Tommy believes this is something that can be coached through as long as guys are, are seeing this early enough and that they're learning as pitchers how to pitch against this type of uh, condition. I could see that being a common philosophy, a common theory that you can work your way through something. I'm not sure if I buy into it yet, if only because we've had a two-month sample size and we haven't really seen the pitchers adjust to this point in time. Last week, I talked to Randy Mobley during one of our broadcasts, and he pointed out that you're seeing all these offensive boons. Gone are the days of one to nothing or 
four to nothing or anything to the nothing <laughs> shutout type baseball. You don't see pitchers duels anymore. So it's a facet of the game that I don't think people are necessarily comfortable seeing disappear yet. And I don't think we've gotten to the point where staffs have been able to coach a player through how to work with this new, more tightly wound ball. Here's a number that I think is is really fascinating. For opponents, they're hitting 251 against the Rail Riders this year. And this is from a pitching perspective. So Rail Riders pitching, holding opponents to a 251 batting average. If that team batting 251 were stacked up in the IL, there are only two teams with lower batting averages in the IL. Buffalo's 250, Pawtucket's 245, and then 251, that batting average against for the Rail Riders pitching staff. So maybe that confidence is founded for Tommy Phelps that he does have that mechanism. He does have that idea on on how to mitigate what, what that new baseball can do. And at last look, the Rail Riders had surrendered a league low home run tally. So we're hitting a lot. We're not giving up a lot. It, we see it inflated typically on the offensive side. And I think the point in time where it really strikes me and maybe you as well is the game at Syracuse a couple Saturdays back where it was 13-2 and then 13-3 and then in the blink of an eye it was a 13-12 game we see more of that than we do being able to hold teams back so I think that makes it almost jaded against pitching 13-12 in the bottom of the fifth <laughs> inning in, the, yes, in that. that game that's worth the sub note as well in a game that finished 17-12 I will say the winds were howling out that day but I think there would have been a pretty good amount of offense regardless of how how much the winds were blowing. And just the hitting home runs, allowing home runs, 53 games into the year, Rail Riders are plus 31 in that differential. That's an insane high number to be plus 31 in home runs allowed versus hit this year, a a big part of their 31-22 and record. The last order of business I'd like to get to here on Broadcast Banter as we have the voice of the Rail Riders, Adam Marco, with us yet again is the guy that, well, as we sit here in Buffalo looking out over the field, the guy that the Buffalo Bison's front office and social media folks, they're they're marketing everything around him, not one of their home players. We know that they're so good at marketing around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when he was here, but they're marketing around Rail Riders and New York Yankees shortstop Didi Gregorius four games into uh, his rehab stint. We expect to see him a couple more times before shipping him up to the big leagues. What has been your first take on those four games we've already seen from Didi? I don't know if the bat is quite where he wants it to be. I know, according to Phil Plantier, it's not quite there yet, but it's not necessarily about the offense for Didi coming back from Tommy John surgery. It's about being able to play the field, being able to make throws, making sure that you're fine, it doesn't hurt, and then you can go back out and do it again the next day. And we'll see Gregorius a couple of times before the Yankees seemingly activate him off the injured list to take on Cleveland this coming weekend. Didi's been fun for the brief amount of time we've had him around, and, well, more so the brief amount of baseball we've been able to play with him on the roster on this rehab assignment. We had Aaron Hicks for just a couple of games. Gregorius joined the team May 28th postponed doubleheader he played one game on the 29th postponed on the 30th got him in the lineup a couple of times over our red barons reunion weekend and hopefully we get him back-to-back games here in buffalo with the doubleheader coming up on wednesday and that 
the arm looks good. That is the biggest thing that he can make these throws. We've seen some phenomenal defensive plays. DD partnering with Tyler Wade on a couple of good double play balls and the major league caliber that you see in an Aaron Hicks and a DD Gregorius, they make routine plays look simple. It's not just routine. They just glide to it with ease and no thought process that I don't have this. I am going to make this play. I noticed that more about Hicks and Gregorius. I think these last what month and a half that we've had them, it really stands out to me how fluid they are. Tonight, as we record this, it's Gregorius, a left-handed hitter, going up a left-hander and Ryan Fearbend, so uh, a knuckleballer, a left-handed knuckleballer that Didi will be going up against. It'll be interesting to see what we can possibly glean from that matchup tonight, but we'll we'll do our best to try and psychoanalyze everything, uh, every pitch, every swing that Didi takes here tonight. Adam Marco, our guest on Broadcast Banter, another week and another stellar performance from you. I'd say it's like a a fourth round kind of performance on the MLB draft if I were to grade this. I'm fine with that. Okay. I wasn't anticipating first round value. We never do. Coming up next, Phil Plantier, hitting coach for Scranton Wilkesbury. We talked about the general offense and talked about it from the pitching perspective with Tommy Phelps, but Phil Plantier joined us on the pregame show earlier this week in Buffalo, and we told you our thoughts on what we're seeing from this offense. Well, here are Phil's thoughts on the team at large. We got a, a roster that has been together actually now for a few weeks. So we had a little bit of a transition earlier in the year to this particular roster. And so I think guys have had a chance as a group to get organized, to get comfortable with the type of work that they feel good doing, that they feel like prepares them for the games. And as a group, they've been excellent at doing that every day, very consistent. And I think it's starting to come out on the field consistently like they want. Some of the numbers we've looked at right now, they're second in the league and batting average as a group, third in home runs. Is there something that you look at and you want them to start to do a little bit more of? Well, we really try to look at things individually with mm-hmm. the guys. Um, yeah, you have a group offense, but really you just try to help the guys focus on what they need to do individually. That helps them and how that contributes to the team offense. And, you know, ultimately our, our number one priority here is to try to get guys as prepared as possible in case any of them become an option to go to New York. So we want them to be prepared for that. And so the, and the guys, I think, know that because we have a little bit more of a veteran group right now, they understand how important that is to be as prepared as possible in case other opportunities come up. So uh, they've been diligent about that. Uh, as far as team numbers go, I would look more at OPS, that kind of thing. You know, it gives you a little bit better read on on how guys get on base and, you know, the shape of contact and things like that. But also, I, I like to look at the guys individually on how they're handling specific types of pitchers. So let's say in general, a player is doing well in general. Try to pick, um, identify the types of pitchers, the type of pitching that might give them trouble. And without them losing the things that they're good at, try to chip away at helping them um, apply some approaches against maybe some pitchers that they struggle against or a certain type of pitcher and uh, chip away at those things. And I feel like we're doing that right now uh, with a number of guys. And, uh, and so I think the quality of work's been good. We're here with hitting coach Phil Plantier on the pregame show in yesterday's game. 
the guys faced a little bit different of a pitcher, a right-hander in Tom Eshelman who throws in the, the upper 80s, doesn't really get it up to 90 miles an hour, and he really mixes things up a little bit. Is that sort of what you mean, like exactly. getting against a guy like that? Yeah, exactly. Being able to just recognize a hitter, you know, we're counterpunchers. you got to recognize who's out on the mound, why that guy why that guy gets a paycheck. And if we understand as hitters, you know, who's out there on the mound, we're going to be able to get into that moment in time and figure out what do I have to do right now to beat him. I thought eventually we got to him. I thought we were a little mm-hmm. slow as a group. Um, but it's just a good example of this game's about adjustments. How fast can you make? How fast can you recognize what's going on? Are you watching the game? Can we recognize what's going on? What does it mean to each individual on what they need to do to make an adjustment to who's out there on the mound at that given moment. And the faster that any hitter can make that adjustment, the more successful they're going to be. The one guy that numerically has made such huge jumps getting to the big leagues this year has been Mike Ford. When you look at the numbers last year to this year, okay, so I can see the numbers on paper, but for you, what's been that that big difference that's really turned his game around? Well, the good thing is he hasn't lost the things he's good at. He knows what a strike and a ball is. He understands the types of pitches that he can handle, and he's doing a good job not missing the pitches that he should hit. And on top of that, not being afraid to hunt certain pitches, make an adjustment based on who's out there on the mound, you know, without giving too much away, you know, putting an approach together at the plate that is important to that moment in time for who you're facing out there on the mound in that situation. And he's doing a better job of uh, playing that poker game. Back inside a call away, Adam Giardino with you, and we've got a bonus interview for you. Last weekend at PNC Field in Scranton, it was the 30th anniversary celebration of baseball coming to Scranton. For 18 years, Scranton Wilkes-Barre played as the Red Barons, and for just about the first 28 years of the 30 years total, their public address announcer was John Davies. John is a local guy, and of course he came back to partake in the 30th anniversary celebration when Lehigh Valley was in town, and he had plenty of memories of what that original team, ballpark, fanfare, what it all looked like 30 years ago. He's someone that a lot of Rail Riders fans have very fond memories of dating back decades, and someone whose voice rings true in their ears. And we wanted to know from John, how was it that he came up with his signature style? My theory was this. Not just say a name flat. Anybody can do that. I wanted to entertain the players and the fans without overdoing it. I didn't want to be like uh, some guys I heard years later that were in pro basketball that would scream and so on and so forth. I tried to be a little bit more subtle than that. Though, in a, in a game that there was some excitement, sometimes I'd get carried away and somebody would have to slap me across the back of the head and say, hey, Simmer down a little bit. You're not in the big leagues, which was true. And I said, okay. But uh, that's how I started back in 89. So what do you remember about opening night? Opening night, 1989? Wow. It was a circus and a carnival all wrapped into one with media coverage from, well, from Philadelphia because they covered us. But New York, uh, New York sent some reporters here because we're not too far from either city, actually. We're 125 miles from... Uh, from both areas. So, uh, plus, you know, uh, obviously your local television and radio stations. And uh, we had a huge one radio station. There was a huge balloon out here in left field that was put up, a, an, an air balloon on which you take people up and down on the balloon. It was mammoth. 
and it was up for the whole game. And we had the governor of Pennsylvania, Robert Casey, who was here. And uh, he did a lot to help us financially get the stadium going and, and so on. We had the, the uh, three county commissioners, Commissioners Alberigi, Commissioner Corcoran, Commissioner Sino, who had a lot to do with this. John McGee, the man that brought baseball here. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have it. It was a little crazy opening night. In recent years with minor league stadiums opening, it always feels like they don't hit the mark on that date. Were there parts of the stadium that were unfinished on opening night? Oh, yeah. Remember? So yeah. what, was, yeah. what well, wasn't done? We were hoping it wasn't going to rain at all. It was It was a little overcast because at, uh, the, the public address booth that I sat in had a tendency of leaking. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I hate to stand up here with a plastic bucket in front of my microphone and finish the game. But luckily it did not rain that night. It was a little cool. But it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. We were able to get the game in, though the game was a late start. The game was supposed to start, I, I think, at 7.30. And when I, I, don't, I think the first pitch was thrown a, a little after 8 o'clock because of all of the pregame ceremonies. And I mean all of the pregame ceremonies. It was, it was really something. We had a packed house that night of nearly 11,000 fans. You, you couldn't move. I mean, some of the hot dogs were lukewarm dogs because it was the first night of a brand new stadium of a brand new franchise so there were a lot of parts of the dugout that was just dirt and you had to walk around certain areas and so on uh, everything wasn't labeled but it was it was put well enough to to actually open up a ball game for that night you're holding the rosters now yes get, get into the players wow. they, when you when you scan this what's the first name that jumps out at you well greg leg I mean, Greg is a saint here. They love him. He was always a very well-liked guy that got involved in community affairs to to help anybody that may have been downtrodden, to help the kids learn how to play baseball. Greg had a, a stint up in the big leagues in eight, 1987, two years before we opened up, and he was Mike Schmitz back up at third base for the Phillies. And uh, it's a nice way to break in when you got a Hall of Famer there in front of you. And a lot of these names, uh, Joe Redfield played third base. Steve Stanisek was our first baseman. Al Pardo was our catcher. Jimmy Olander. Jim Adusi. Jim Adusi's son plays in the big leagues right now. And the father played here. Floyd Rayford. Floyd Rayford was one of the most well-loved players to ever play here. He had a million-dollar personality. He saw his better years behind him. He played, he played, he was a, a roommate with Cal Ripken with the Orioles. In fact, uh, he may be in the Hall of Fame because I think when Ripken start street, uh, his streak started, it was Floyd who, I believe, had played third base the last time before Ripken played third. And then Ripken started off at, the, at third, and then a day or two later, he replaced Len Sakata at shortstop for the Orioles. So Floyd is in Cooperstown. And he's always in the hearts of everybody around here because he's such a great guy. We had a, a lot of guys back then, and they they all became folk heroes of people locally because they could identify with these guys. A, a lot of people, when we first started, that lived here didn't know anything about minor league baseball. And one guy said, hey, that Al Pardo, is his grandfather from Old Forge? And I said, no. <laughs> and Old Forge is only a mile down the road. I said, no. These gentlemen live all across the country, and some of them live outside of the country. When you think back to that old stadium, you mentioned that story of the gentleman interrupting a game by, oh. by scaling the wall. Oh. If not that story, is there another <laughs> story along that ilk that you that jumps out to you? That, well, yeah, Eric Bullock 
played left field for us that night. Erica's a pretty decent hitter, very good glove. Was this 89 or was this a different, it probably was, it a different was, year? It was in the early years. I'm yeah. not sure if it was 89 exactly, but it was 89, 90, 91, somewhere in, in, that, in that era. And Bullock, uh, Bullock's playing left field, and, and he did it very well, and we had the fence wrapped completely around. We had the... Uh, the visiting bullpen was down the left field line. Mm-hmm. Home bullpen was down the right field line. And everybody, you know, was not together. I meant now they're one next to each other. It was not the case back then. Some guy had to drink too many one night, and it was either the fourth or the fifth inning. Some guy scaled the fence. We don't know how he did it. He scaled the fence and started walking along the outs- along the top of the outfield fence. And to see him, he was hanging on the foul pole. And I thought to myself, oh, my God. And Bullock started screaming and yelling and waving his arms frantically, indicating, hey, there's some nut on top of the outfield fence. Well, we had to stop the game. The deputy sheriffs poured out of the field and ran out there, at least a half a dozen, trying to coax the man to come down. And uh, Bullock just put his hands up in the air and he said, I'm not playing with this guy out here, which you can't blame him. Well, the sheriffs eventually convinced the guy to come down. They said, you're going to get hurt. You're going to wind up in the hospital. Please don't do that. Well, never thinking to himself, so when you come down, you're going to jail, which he did. And they took him down and cuffed him and, and dragged him out of the back of the bullpen door. And we never saw him hear of him again. Big thanks to John Davies, longtime PA voice at Lackawanna County Stadium and then on to PNC Field. And now we will get to our last order of business. As always here on the pod, And it's the Around the System Report. We've got reports this week from all four levels. First, in single A with Matt Dean for the Charleston River Dogs. In high A with the Tampa Tarpons, that's Nick Flamia. John Moses down in double A with the Trenton Thunder. And our very own Adam Marco right here in triple A. First up, Matt Dean. With this look at the Charleston River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. The River Dogs have held steady going 3-3 three and three in the last week and maintaining a first-place position in the South Atlantic League Southern Division, leading the Lexington Legends by two and a half games after being swept in a doubleheader on Saturday. Center fielder Brandon Lockridge, the Yankees' fifth-round pick out of Troy University last year, has continued to impress, adding newfound power to his all-around game. With six home runs in his last 19, the speedy leadoff man now leads the River Dogs with eight blasts on the season, all coming in 50 games from the top of Julio Mascara's lineup card. I mean, it's definitely nice being able to put up some some power numbers. It's hasn't really been a you know my game as of my and previously in my career, but um, I mean, I'm just kind of however I can contribute if it's a single, if it's a double. If it's a homer, I mean, whatever is good with me. It's, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's always fun hitting extra base hits. So. The recent turnaround for Lockridge has been essential to the Riverdogs' playoff run. After batting just 169 over his first 19 games of the year, he's hit 319 cents to raise his average nearly 100 points. 28 of his 56 hits have gone for extra bases this year. Former big leaguer and Charleston hitting coach Greg Colbrin talked this week about the adjustments that Lockridge has made. Um, first three weeks, you know, he struggled a little, pitch recognition and things like that, but he also, every time he hit the ball hard, it was right at somebody. As soon as we went to Greenville, you know, he made some adjustments, tried to get the head out a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive at the plate, and um, he's been swinging the bat ever since. With this look at the River Dogs, I'm Matt Dean. With the Tampa Tarpons, I'm Nick Flamia. On Friday, the Tarpons rally for an 8-7 win in the series opener over Bradenton. Getting the victory with one scoreless frame that night was right-hander Andrew Bellotti. It was the 27-year-old's first win since 2015, when he finished 3-1 with a 231 ERA in 17 relief outings with the Tampa Bay Rays. 
Bellotti injured his shoulder the following season and did not return to the big leagues. The San Diego native left Tampa Bay and signed with Baltimore in 2017, but an elbow injury led to Tommy John surgery. Bellotti returned to action in the Atlantic League this season, striking out the side in his only inning with the Sugarland Skeeters before the Yankees purchased his contract. It's been an experience, I can say, because um, no one ever plans for that. So going from 2015 big leagues to, you know, just a number of injuries after, um, it's tough. Um, but I've been fortunate to have a good support system um, at home and you know, when I was with the Rays, when my injuries kind of started to uh, Baltimore after that um, with my elbow. Um, so it's just the support I've got has really helped me through that. And then just my own mindset, you know, it, it wasn't the end. Um, I've always tried to work hard and, and come back stronger. Bellotti retired six of seven batters he faced while striking out four in his Tarpons debut last week using a mid-90s fastball, a slider, and a changeup. The right-hander says that he's a different pitcher compared to the one drafted by the Rays in the 12th round in 2009. Uh, my first few years, I didn't throw, you know, in the mid-90s like I am now. Um, so I've really transitioned into a power guy. I'm a power pitcher. I'm going to come right at you. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. The Thunder worked their way through a tough weather week in their series with Altoona, playing just one full game in their three-game series before taking the first two games of their series with the Harrisburg Senators capped off by a 2-1 win on Saturday night. Thunder stand in first place at 32-19 entering play on Sunday, thanks in part to excellent work from right-hander Brooks Kriske at the back end of Trenton's bullpen. Kriske joined the Thunder on April 27th and has become one of the most dominant relievers in the league, allowing just 16 base runners in 14 innings pitched with 17 strikeouts. Right-hander was drafted in the sixth round in 2016 out of the University of Southern California and recently discussed some of his recovery from Tommy John surgery, which knocked him out of action for the entire 2017 season. Uh, obviously it was tough, but um, again, I had, I had people to talk to that have been through it before it happens to a lot of guys. And um, I knew that I was going to be able to build everything from the ground up. I had a lot of time to be able to make myself better overall. Just trusting that, that the arm was going to be healthy. And um, I think subconsciously you kind of ease up a little bit instead of really letting it eat out there. And uh, I think that's the difference between last year and this year for me. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. With this look at the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. Scranton Wilkesbury has gone 5-1 since we last talked. A big part of this team's resurgence as of late is Bravik Valera. On Monday, he was named the International League's Player of the Week for May 20th through 26th. Valera hit 522 over six games during that span, with four walks, two doubles, four home runs, and 12 runs batted in. Since May 20th, the Rail Riders are 9-2 and, and have forged ahead to first place in the International League's Northern Division. Since joining Scranton Wilkesbury, Valera is hitting 444 over 16 games. Uh, definitely is something that goes back to, you know, just a comfort zone, being able to, you know, make the transition. He's just like you were saying, he's saying that he, he's very aware of, of the, the, his, his power and what he's done in the past. And in a way, he's kind of obviously caught a little off guard and, and surprised by it as well. But it's one of those where he also realizes that, you know, coming to this new organization and being able to make that transition to be around a good coaching staff and, and have, have hitting coaches that he's able to kind of communicate and go back and forth and, you know, just being comfortable, having that, that trust, that belief in yourself that 
you know, you find yourself in a in a comfortable setting in a place where you're you're not only happy but you're 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 enjoying things. And I think it's just kind of one of those where it's kind of played itself out to to be the way it has so far. That's Bravik Valera, as translated by Rail Riders defensive and first base coach Julio Borbon. With the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. Thanks to all those guys for sending in their reports this week. And that's going to put a wrap on this week for A Call Away. Again, I'm Adam Giardino, broadcaster for Scranton Wilkesbury, AAA affiliate for the New York Yankees. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Giardino, G I A R D I N O. And you can catch all of the action for the Rail Riders all season long with Adam, Marco, and me. Every day before first pitch for 30 minutes with pregame coverage on the Rail Riders Radio Network, the TuneIn Radio app, and the MILB First Pitch app as well. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Pod. Be sure to check out all the pods on the Pinstripe Alley Podcast Network, and we will talk to you again real soon.